All right, so um, we are picking up with chapter 8, or the 8th part, which is on occupation. Let me just summarize what we've done so far. So when we talk about a Lutheran approach to outreach and evangelism, uh, we started with the church, and there's a reason we did that. We start with uh, uh, where we bring people to church. Actually, let me back up even further. We started with motives. We had to have the right motive. Uh, we're not doing this to fill up the coffers. We're not doing this to get more money or to appear to be bigger or, or anything like this. Uh, we're doing this to save people's souls from hell. Right? We, want, we don't want people to be condemned. Uh, and then second, once we have our motives right, then we consider our approach. And this approach, we work at it this way. We start with the church. And in the church, we work on faithfulness, uh, making sure that what people are coming to is faithful to the Word of God, that the church is beautiful, and that the church is hospitable, that we welcome the stranger. Uh, next, we, from there, we work out to the family, and uh, the family grows, and as the family grows, the church grows. And so this begins with procreation, and then we say, well, it's just not enough to have children, Uh, what's the point if they don't even come to church? So we have the children, and then, second, we catechize them. We teach them. So that this is how the church grows in this way, this natural way. And then we talked about, last week, the straying. And this was really unfortunate because I forgot to record it. And I'm going to see if I could upload that, but everything's going to be jumbled and not in order. Anyway, we talked about the straying. That is, those who are members of the church, our church, who sit next to you in the pews, but have fallen away. And no longer come to church. We said, if, if you just take these three alone, right? If you just start with the, the church, everybody who's a member of the church just show up. Then everybody uh, who has family, if all of your relatives who live close by came to church. And if we had everybody who was part of the church come back to the church, would we have room? And the answer is no. We'd be bursting at the seams. It'd be, it'd, it'd be exploding. Um, Then we have this final part, which is occupation. In the book, it calls it vocation, and I'll tell you why I'm using this word instead. Uh, But we have occupation, and this is kind of out in the world, bringing the people who have no connection to the church, right? Uh, But the way we approach outreach is this way, from the church to the family to the straying, and then finally here. What have you seen in church growth programs or like evangelism things? Where do they start? Outside, They start here. So now we're, what, eight, nine, ten weeks into this? And now we're just getting to the outsider. Um, well, this is because th- there's a certain approach. There's a, a set of priorities that we have to take. Um, every book on church growth starts here and neglects the rest and just assumes. I don't even know if they assume, but they just neglect the rest of it. Um, we're, we're just touching on it now, and we're about to get into this in a moment. Uh, Let me first tell you why I chose the word occupation versus vocation. I think there's there's an important distinction we have to make. A a lot of times people use the word vocation to refer to your job. And I don't think that's quite right. Because can you change your job? Yeah. Yeah, you can change your career. You can change what you're studying uh, many times over. So I think that's very different than uh, what you do is very different than who you are. 
who you are is what God has called you to be, and that doesn't change. Meaning, look, I'm, uh, I'm a father. I have sons. That I'm always going to have. I'm always going to, even if my sons die, I'm still going to be a father unto eternity. I'm still going to be the father of those, and they're going to be, uh, they're going to look at me as their father uh, forever. Um, I'm a son myself. That means I always have parents. They're always going to be my parents, right? Even into eternity. Um, I, the, the, the point is, is that that's something that once God has called you to, it remains. Um, so the point is, is that these are things that you can do while you're sleeping. So I say the, the vocation is what God has called you to do, and it's undeniable, right? So you can't, you can't get out of it. You're married? Well, you're married. <laughs> that's it. You're, th- that, that's where you are, and then you make the best of the marriage. Uh, you have children? Okay. Well, now you're a father. Make, make the best of it. Can you, can you do bad things? Absolutely. Um, but the point is God has called you to this. So, you can't, so once you're a father to children, you can't change that. Once you're married to a spouse, it's not God's intention that you would change that. Um, so on and so forth. So I make that distinction of... So that in your occupation, uh, that's what you get paid to do. And in your vocation, you don't get paid to do it, but it's who you are. So, and, and I think this distinction is helpful because a lot of people will get these confused and try and figure out, like, what is God calling me to do? And then what they're immediately thinking of is work. And they say, well, what is God calling me to do? Am I supposed to be a teacher or am I supposed to be a rock star? <laughs> um, well, what are you better at? Right? Objectively better at. Do people think you're good at this? Do you like doing this? Okay, well, then go do, go do that thing. Uh, but you're not stuck in one career. And it's not, it, 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 um, it's not that you can't get out of that. Uh, your vocation is God-given, and that remains, right? Okay, so that's why I'm making that distinction. So, because for me, I think the family is the vocation, and then out here is the occupation. Uh, things can change, and uh, where you work and your social circles change this way. So, um, so yeah, so what I want to talk about is, we're talking about evangelism and outreach. So far, we've covered the motives, the church, the family, the straying. Uh, there's a different approach to the way we consider this um, from the way others do. We're eight weeks in, and we're getting to where people start uh, first, which is outside. But there is uh, the priority that grows from those nearest to us to those furthest away from us, or farthest away from us. So we take care of those who are close to us, and then the, the responsibility kind of uh, lessens the farther out it goes, just to keep it in mind. Uh, now, what's the problem with this circle, the occupation or your different social circles that you're a part of? What do people go through when they think of that? What's the feeling that comes up? Exactly. Yeah, no thank you. Uh, anxiety, fear, like, uh, nope. I'm not going to engage in that, right? Um, and that's, that's understandable um, because there's an anxiety for reaching out to people who have no association with the congregation is really difficult and we feel like we are out of our league. Like there's all these people, who knows what they've heard in the internet? Who knows what they came up I don't know anything about the person and here I'm going to tell them that they have sinned against the face of God. 
and that uh, God um, uh, will punish them for these sins if they are impenitent. But that God has sent his son uh, to redeem them. And if they have faith in him, right? It's almost a daunting task. And it's so overwhelming that people just give up and just don't engage in it at all. Um, The truth is this, that there are many people who are associated with the congregation members who may not seem to be at first glance. So just consider our context where we are now. We're in Winter Garden. It's like, I don't know, do I have anything in common with the people across the street? Maybe, but probably not. I mean, I think we probably have very, very different views on things, especially if they're in their bed sleeping this morning. We have totally different views on everything, I think. Uh, and uh, just a lot, of, a lot of different people. So it's like, well, this is a daunting task. So what do we do? Well, in fact, I think um, there's an approach to that as well. So one is the complete stranger, and one is the, we could call, an acquaintance. So that if we have a church, right, here's our congregation, um, and then one member goes here, I don't know, goes to school, and another member goes to work, and another member is engaged in uh, sports or a team or something, and... Here's our member, or sorry, our member is the dot. And there's uh, others who are around them. These acquaintances, if, if we add this all up to our closest circles for each one of us outside of the church, well then, that's where we want to start. And we don't want to start with the random person in Walmart who's looking for a canoe. And we just walk up to them and say, hey, you're going to hell. <laughs> um, you're a sinner, uh, but repent, right? They're, they're just going to want you to go away. But when it comes to people who you are associated with in some capacity, in some degree, uh, there's already a, a relationship or a connection there. So if you think of your workplace or, I don't know, the place you frequent most, um, there are people you see on a, on a uh, regular basis. Okay, well, that's where you'd, you would want to start. Now, let me ask this. What's the, what's the only thing standing in the way from one of these people coming to, to the church? Knowing about it, yeah. Which would be an invitation. Simply an invitation to come. Okay, <clears throat> now, I want to talk about invitation, but I want to first talk about what invitation isn't before I talk about what it is. What an invitation is not is this. It's not simply marketing. It's not just advertising or formal programs or going door to door or making cold calls, things like this. In short, it's not reaching out to people who have absolutely no connection with the congregation. Um, Can those things be helpful? Sure. If somebody has moved down here from Iowa and they're looking for a faithful church, and they find our website, and then they come and join it. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, so, so, yeah, getting, obviously, getting the, uh, a word out there, some marketing, advertising, in this sense. But that's not what I mean when I say invitation here, okay? Uh, I think that has its place. It's just kind of common sense. Uh, get, you know, just tell people that the church exists and what you believe. Um, but... but so all too often, churches will 
confuse this because uh, they will put so much into marketing and advertising and then they kind of neglect anything else that comes from that. Um, and I think it's because it's safer, right? Because if I just blast something out on social media, then I don't feel the personal rejection of it, right? Or if I just put an ad in the newspaper, well, whoever finds it does, whoever doesn't, doesn't. And then just, um, okay. So I, I think that's a danger to just hide it behind that. But that's not what I mean when I say invitation. The second thing I don't mean when I say invitation is this, is a full presentation of the gospel. So sometimes invitation in our minds turns into, I have to present everything there is to know about Christianity to this person. And as if you have to memorize like some seven steps to heaven uh, or some brochure, or you have to have something with you to hand out or whatever it is. Uh, This makes it every Christian's responsibility to convert people and then bring them to church. When, When that's the case, what do people do? They tend to shy away from it because they say, well, if this is what you mean by invitation, which is present the full gospel, everything to everybody, and then just leave it on their lap and I have to be the intermediary here, um, then people have no desire to talk to who? The people who are closest to them, their closest friends and family members, because we feel like we only have one shot to do it. I have one shot to get this pitch right. It's a sales pitch. And this is unfortunately what a lot of evangelism has turned into. Well, I have a sales pitch. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to try to present everything in a convincing way and polish this so that it's nice and eloquent and um, uh, very well said. And if it goes well, great. But if it goes awry, then my friendship with the person is going to end. Because they're going to be like, well, you're weird. And then, <laughs> like, why did you just do that? We're just, you know. So th- this is the issue, is that then Christians get very, they think of two extremes. One where it's completely hands off, just send out a, an ad in the newspaper. And the other where it's so involved that I have to say everything and I have to know when, the, when Jerusalem's temple uh, was destroyed and who attacked it. And then I have to know all the apologetics and this and this. And it's overwhelming. And then the Christian's like, I, I can't do that. Uh, I, I'm not prepared for that. Um, and also, I want to keep this person as my friend, right? I enjoy their company, but now I've given them this speech and they're really turned off by this, right? So this is, this is the two extremes of what's going on here. The, both of those extremes is not what I mean by invitation. What I mean by invitation is this, and I think the best place to turn is in the gospel Uh, John chapter 1, if you have your Bible. This is Andrew the Apostle. This is very early in the ministry of Jesus. And Andrew hears Jesus say, Behold the Lamb of God who bears, who is now bearing the sin of the world upon him after his baptism. Um, And Andrew was one of the two who were left with John at the time, and he followed Jesus. So Andrew believed. And then Jesus asked them, one of these two, he says, what are you seeking? And they said, so Andrew's one of them, he says, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, come and you will see. And then the evangelist John notes that they stayed with him that day, but that Andrew, then this is what the text says, 
in verse 42, John 1, 42. Andrew then says, uh, he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And then comes this really beautiful, simple line. And it says, and he brought him to Jesus. That's what I mean by, um, by invitation. The he brought him to Jesus here does not mean that Andrew convinced Peter that Jesus was the Messiah. That's not, that's not what it means. It's very literal. It's very clear. He just brought him, he just grabs him by the hand and says, hey, here's Jesus. I believe in him. This is the Messiah. There's Jesus, the end, right? This is what he does. So it's, it's not that uh, when it says, oh, he brought him to Jesus, he brought him to faith. No, that's not what he's saying. Just he brought him into the location to where Jesus was. It doesn't mean he converted Peter or even had this massive discussion with him. It wasn't anything uh, eloquent. That's not eloquent to say. It's just, hey, th- there's this guy. He's the Christ. I believe in him. And guess what? That's where he is. And now I'm going to show you where he is. And that's it. Um, it was an invitation that led to a change in his location. So who is the one who, who converts here? Obviously, we know later on that Peter believes uh, in that moment. Um, but Andrew didn't have to do the talking or the persuading because Jesus could talk for himself. He just let Jesus talk for himself and said, here, just look and listen to what this guy's saying. So now we say, well, we're 2,000 years removed from this and I don't have that luxury to just grab somebody by the hand and say, hey, here's Jesus, talk to him. Um, so what does that look like today? Well, it's simply inviting people to church. That's all it is. Uh, it means calling someone to go somewhere with you. An invitation means an invitation. You, it, it, could be, it could be this. In fact, I think this is the best way. The, the most successful way is simply saying, hey, I'm going to church this Sunday. Do you want to come? That's it. For, for your husband who is not in, in the faith or your wife who is not in the faith or your child or whatever. Say, hey, uh, I'm going to church this Sunday. Do you want to go with me? That's it. That's it. It doesn't have to be more than that. Uh, you don't have to have some special knowledge or be you know, articulate about this. Just an invitation of that. If the person says no, then fine. That's it. Um, nothing has changed in the relationship. They're not weirded out or anything. Uh, and then you can extend the invitation another time and ask again and say, hey, I'm going to church again. Hey, it's Christmas. I'm going to church. You should come with me. Uh, no? Okay. Hey, it's Easter. I'm going to church. Come with me. No? All right. It's Trinity 10. <laughs> uh, you're coming to church. Uh, come with me. So that, 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 <laughs> that we have these, um, right, these just simple uh, requests. It's just show them where the church is. Now, the reason is um, Andrew brings Peter to Jesus, and then he lets Jesus do the talking. Um, we bring them to church, and it, specifically to the pastor, I think one of the best things we can do, right, is invite them to church. Or nowadays we have a luxury that nobody else before us in the history of the world has, which is recordings, podcasts, is to record it, right? I've gone back and forth on whether I should record the sermons, and I fight and struggle it every time because I say, well, if I record the sermons, then people are just going to stay home and not come to church. Ah. But if I don't record the sermons, 
then people won't hear the word at all. So what do I do? And so I, I have this conundrum that I fight with. But overall, I think there's a lot of good, more good to this uh, than, than not. That you send them a podcast and just be like, or one of the sermons say, hey, you got to listen to this. And if they do, great. And if they don't, then that's it. The relationship hasn't changed. Uh, I, like I said, I, I think this is one of the most powerful things to just say, look, you, you because your friend or your brother or your son or whoever knows you to be a, a good person. They know your conduct. They know the way you speak. They know what you stand for. And there's already a strong connection. And you can say, well, let me tell you why I'm this way. There's a reason I'm, I'm the way I am. And there's a w- reason I'm generous and loving and kind in this. And because I have a savior, my God, who is generous and loving and kind to me. And I do this freely. I'm not trying to earn my way to heaven. Right? Uh, I, I, I love Jesus. So then simply saying, you got to hear this. you got to hear this guy preach. you got to hear this sermon. you got to listen to this. And they do it, and then, great. I can't tell you how many people have found the church because of that. In fact, I'll give you a, a, an idea here. I was just at a conference on Thursday and Friday. It was a, it was a tech conference of, um, of uh, some conservative uh, uh, computer people, right? And I had no idea what they were talking about. I was like, I was totally lost. But, um, uh, but the, the guy who, who put it together, he's Lutheran. And, and I asked, I'm like, how did, you, how did you find my name? Like, how, how did that happen? And he says, well, it was actually, so they have people throughout the United States. And he says, well, it was actually uh, some lady who was um, listening to your sermons online. And I don't even know who she is or how she came across those sermons. And she said, hey, I, there, there's apparently a conservative pastor in Orlando and he's preaching. And she sent it to him. And he started listening, and then he reached out to me. And then I went there, and I gave the invocation. He asked me to do this, and I said, I'll, I'll do this under one condition. Um, uh, not that I'm paid, nothing. My only condition is this, that no other pastor goes. That I'm the only one who gets to speak on theology. That's it. And I'll do it. I'll, do, I'll stay there the whole conference if you want. They'll do everything. And he says, okay, yeah, we'll do it. And I did, and I gave the invocation. And it was, it was wonderful. I mean, these people are faithful, conservative people. And um, we got into some theological discussions. I might say after the recording. Um, but we got into some really good stuff. Uh, and, it, and it was wonderful. And this guy started to just tell people at the conference, hey, you got to listen to some of these sermons, right? And then it just started, like the sermons just started skyrocketing here in the past couple of uh, days. Yeah. So... Uh So this was a, a small invitation-only uh, gathering. They called it an unconference, and there were f- about 50 people, all incredibly bright. Well, that's good Very, because it seems, well, you can work for Trump's Truth Social, which is good. But, uh, I actually met the guy who, who, uh, who was on the team to put that together, and, uh, yeah, um, we had some really good conversations there. So. But if they, it'd be nice to convert Facebook and Twitter, that sort of thing. But if they found out who you were, they'd probably ostracize you and you'd be gone. Exactly. So, so that's the issue, and that's what's going on. And that's what this conference was about, to say, I mean, there's a narrative out there that says uh, technology is inherently Marxist. 
and, co- and communistic. And these guys are fighting that narrative. And it, it was wonderful. I was, like, I was so happy to be there and I just enjoyed the conversations. But the thing is, look at how that came about, just randomly, right? Oh, listen to this, this, this. this. So, um, so anyway, that's just one example. Uh, we have a luxury now that people just didn't have before that we can record this and, and send it out. At so incredibly easy, just from phone to phone. Um, but I want to give a few Bible verses here to, to show you this. Why do we bring people to the church, specifically to the pastor, and say, listen to what this guy's saying? Uh, Luke ten sixteen says this. Jesus himself says to his apostles, he who hears you hears me. In other words, he's saying, uh, if you want to hear what I have to say, listen to what these people say, and they're my apostles. And uh, pastors are faithful to the teaching of the apostles, faithful to the word. And so when you find a pastor who's faithful to the word, well, then he's listening not only to a man. These are not my opinions. This is just what the Lord has said, right? Um, yeah, okay, uh, let, me, let me move on here. Where evangelism, so Jesus is the one doing the evangelizing. Uh, evangelism is what Jesus does, uh, Luke four eighteen. Do you remember this text? This is Jesus in the temple. He reads the scriptures, and then after he reads the scriptures, he says, uh, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to evangelize to the poor." So that who is the evangelist, according to the scriptures? The word there is Jesus. He is the one evangelizing and converting. Another text is Mark sixteen fifteen. That Jesus again at his ascension, preaching to his apostles, and he gives them this command. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Jesus chooses to do this, not through an angel or not himself, but he does this through the called ministers of the gospel. Uh, Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins, uh, which, uh, wherever you withhold forgiveness, those sins, or that forgiveness is withheld. Uh, Romans 10, again, he says, this, is, this whole chapter is on Paul making the logical argument from whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved to, well, how do you do that? How does somebody call upon the name of the Lord? Well, then he goes through this logical argument and he says, well, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who evangelize good things or preach good news to the poor. So Paul is associating evangelizing with those who have been placed into what? The office of the ministry. He does not put this burden on all Christians. And I would say that there's this distinction. All Christians are to confess the word. That means if your friends ask you, well, they scoff at you and say, why are you going to church? That's dumb. It's a waste of time. Well, then what do you do? Now, it, now it's your job to articulate clearly because you're being called upon to make a confession. I go to church to receive what Jesus gives, to be where Jesus is. I love Jesus. He loves me. He forgives me in church. That's why. And then you make that confession. And if they find you weird or, or get upset with you, the Soviet, then go. Um, if, if our friendship falls apart over my confession of Christ, then it's probably not a good confession or not a good friendship. Um, 
So Christians are called to do that. But the, the evangelizing is really primarily done from what we see in the scriptures is Jesus and through his apostles, that is, his preachers. So that you say, look, there's a lot of things I can't even articulate here that, I, you know, they'll come up and say, well, why is Genesis um, history? Why is that? It, it doesn't make sense to me that God would create the world in, in six days, right? And say, I believe this. I don't have all the answers, and I can't really uh, regurgitate this in, in this moment, but um, you should talk to my pastor because he has. In fact, that's his job is to study this and to consider these things. And that's, that's always a very good thing. Again, what are you doing there? It's simply an invitation. And, and again, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that you say, well, I just believe whatever my pastor says. You're not saying that. You're saying the Bible clearly says this. Now, there are reasons and there's other things, uh, defenses and uh, ways to explain this um, that my pastor is well-versed in and he's more articulate than I am. But I'm believing this because the scriptures are clear and they plainly say it. I'm not just believing it just because he said so, right? There, there's a distinction. So that you could say, look, I know what I believe. I believe in closed communion. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 11 says so plainly. Uh, and then they say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Well, I can't answer all those questions. Uh, and I have to study too. But maybe you and I can both go to my pastor and talk to him. And he'll tell us, right? And he'll teach us and show us. Uh, what to look at. Th- this is the point, is use your pastor in this way. It's, it's helpful. Um, so that Paul is associating the evangelism with the pastoral office. Yes, you should ma- be able to make a confession. And the more you can do this yourself, the better. This is great. But it's not on you. It's not a duty of yours to evangelize to the world. <laughs> uh, just keep that in mind. I, th- I think that's very, very important. Uh, it's, it's your job to be faithful in your vocation and in your calling. And it's your job to, be, to, to make a confession when called upon. It's also your job to invite. Um, but that's it, right? Okay, let me uh, move on to the main point here. And it's this, that you can do exactly what Andrew did for Peter. That is, invite people to where Jesus is. Invite people to where your pastor is. Um, I don't expect every Christian to be able to answer every question that anyone ever has. Uh, Pastors are trained to do so. Uh, But even at the same time, you know that pastors don't have the answer to every question. Uh, So if a pastor doesn't have the answer to every question, why put that burden on the congregation to do so? Um, Andrew didn't have to tell all the answers to Peter. He just brought him to where the answers were. So the invitation should be simple. Uh, we oftentimes overcomplicate it, give ourselves anxiety. Uh, that in, The truth is inviting people isn't a chore. Think of it like um, you're throwing a party or you're saying, hey, I'm going out to dinner with a bunch of friends. Uh, what do you do? You ask people. You say, hey, um, I'm going to dinner. Do you want to come? No? Okay. Uh, yes? Okay. Well, it would be a joy to have you there. That's it. It, do, it doesn't have to be more complicated or more uh, grueling or taxing than that. It's uh, very simple and, and straightforward. Now, if, if everybody did that in their spheres, uh, in their vocations, we'd have a lot of people here. In fact, 
A lot of you have come here because of that, uh, in those very ways. Uh, just an invitation. And it started with, hey, listen to the sermon. And then it grew from there. And it, and it turned into something else. Okay, let me move on to the conclusion here. And then we'll, um, I'll open up for questions. The conclusion is just a quote from Gregory the Great, who was uh, a pastor in the 6th century. And he says this. On the way to God, desire to have companions. If any one of you, brothers, is going to the forum or perhaps to the bath, he invites one whom he thinks is at leisure to come with him. Well, then this earthly act of yours is itself agreeable to you. And if you are traveling to God, take care that you don't go to him alone. Here indeed is the scripture, he who hears let him say, come, Revelation 22. That he who has already received in his heart the voice of celestial love should also repeat outside to his neighbors the voice of invitation. So that you should simply be joyful and happy when you invite people. Don't, uh, not, a new, not really a nuisance or angry about it. Like, man, why don't you come to church? No, just say, hey, I'm, I'm going to church. This is a good thing. I, I love church. It's, it's wonderful. It's the best part of my week. If you speak of it that way, people are more likely to <laughs> come, right? Um, and even this, what's amazing to me is that you guys have been doing this naturally even before I just said it right now to do it this way. Um, this is because when you truly believe and love something and you're happy about it, you don't have to tell someone to say it or invite someone to it. So <laughs> um, think of it like you, you see a good movie. What do you automatically do? Nobody is standing at the door and saying, make sure you tell everybody about the movie. Make sure. You know. There's no like a contract you sign. It's just you see a good movie, you're like, that was great. You got to see this. That's all. That's how it is. Or you get pregnant, right? Uh, your wife is pregnant and she doesn't have to remind you, tell people, you're She's pregnant. This is great. I'm happy. And you do it joyfully. A woman gets engaged. Out of joy, she tells people. And then people are interested and they, and they want to hear this. So this is the same thing about church is to say, look, I, I, I was talking to some people and they're like, man, I'm just so depressed seeing the news and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I have to raise my kids in this uh, world. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's bad. But... Um, but I have God on our side, right? We have God. And he's promised to make a blessed end to all of this. And even if my children suffer, their suffering is not the worst thing. Uh, they have something far greater than any suffering they could face in this life. They have, they have Jesus who loves them. And, and I'm going to be around and I'm going to take care of my kids as much as I can. But I know that Jesus will take care of them even if I'm not here. Even if I can't take care of them, he will. I, I know that. It's, a, it's, it's the truth. So that what's happening is, is you just make a confession. You just say, hey, this is, this is the truth. And out of joy, uh, people will see that joy in you and want to know more about it and just be a part of it. Okay, let me stop here for questions or comments.